Amen. God's hope, it never, ever fails us. Can we give him praise, church? Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve as the Connections Pastor here. Pastor Greg is away this weekend, and I'm honored to bring this message. And I want to ask you to go ahead and uh, find your Bible, your mobile device, whatever you read the Scriptures on, and we will dive right into the Word of God directly from this time of worship. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll also look at a Scripture in Galatians as well. Um, just a heads up in case you're one of those who's reading along and you think, oh, am I in the right verse? Am I in the right place? I'm going to read from a couple different uh, translations here this morning to help us fully grasp what I believe God wants us to get this morning. So we'll begin at NIV, Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The New Living Translation says it this way, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And now flip back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, just one book back. Here it is from the NLT, New Living. But even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvelous grace. And the last verse for this morning Today's English version of Galatians 1.15 says, God in his grace chose me even before I was born and called me to serve him. Church, you have been called to serve, called to be a blessing to people around you. And I want us to grab a hold of that idea this morning. Before you make your way to your seats, touch three people and say, I'm called to be a blessing. Do it now. I'm called to be a blessing. I'm watching. This morning, we will continue our series called Living on Purpose. We've been looking at the five callings of your life, the five purposes of your life. And we see that the word calling is used more than the word purpose in the Bible. And we've looked at three so far. Uh, let's look at the first one. We've learned that you were called to be loved. You were called to be loved, that, that God made you to love you. And let me just stop there and say that some of us are hard to love, right? Don't point, don't point. Some of us are hard to love, but you were called to be loved and God made you to love you. The second calling we looked at is you were called to belong. We talked about belonging to God's family, belonging to Jesus and being connected that Pastor Greg shared many ways where you can be connected during that week where you can belong. And then last week we looked at your third calling, which is you are called to become. This whole idea that God wants us to grow up. God doesn't want us to stay spiritual newborns, but he wants us to mature into the faith. He wants us to grow into who God wants us to be every single day. And in the season that we're in, God has something fresh for each and every one of us. He wants us to mature. We are called to become what God wants for us. And this week in this message, we're going to look at the fourth calling of your life, which is you are called to bless. You're called to bless other people. Well, how do we do that? How in the world? I mean, what does it look like for me to bless someone else? Well, we do that by serving other people. This could be physical assistance. It could be financial assistance. It could even be the emotional support or the relational support or, or even the very practical support that you provide for someone. And, and there are thousands of ways that we provide practical support to people around us. 
And, and the Bible says that when we serve others, we actually bless them. The fourth purpose of my life, this idea, is that, that God created me to serve him, to serve others. In Ephesians 2.10, remember it says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me dive into this idea of God's workmanship. You were crafted and created by God. You are his handiwork. And I know you might hear someone say that, and your initial reaction is to push back on that thought. Oh, no. If you knew me, you would realize that I was not uniquely created by God. And, and I want to just encourage you with this thought here this morning. That God crafted and created you. And he knew what he was doing in that moment. And he had a purpose and he had a plan. And he still does. And, and I want to let us grab a hold of this as a church. That you are God's masterpiece. That he didn't take the day off when he shaped you. He wasn't on vacation somewhere in the sun. He wasn't away. There's nobody like you in the entire world. And that's probably a good thing. But you were crafted and created by the hand of God. And you know what? You weren't actually crafted and created just to take up space, just to breathe. Breathe in, breathe out, get old, die. No, there's actually more to it than that. God put you here to make a contribution with your life. Your contribution is called your ministry. And I love this idea that we are not here just to consume. We're not here just to take in, but we're here to contribute. We're here to give back. And this is not just true here in the church, but it's true in our lives and in the places where, where we serve as an occupation, in our schools, if we're a middle school or high school, college student, that we're not there just to consume, but to contribute. And that contribution is called your ministry. Another word for blessing, another word for service is ministry. And we see that in the Bible, the word servant and the word minister are often interchangeable. We see that in several different texts. The fact is, we are all ministers. We are all ministers. We're not all pastors. I'm a pastor, and we have several pastors here on our staff. I heard someone say the other day, they were walking around on a Sunday morning, they said, man, how many pastors are around here? How many ministers are around here? I keep running into you guys everywhere I go. I mean, how many pastors does Union Chapel have? Gosh, and we had a, a brief chuckle about that. And, and I began to think about that in preparing for this message. Because as a pastor, it's my responsibility and our pastoral staff responsibility to shepherd the flock that is under our care. 1 Thessalonians 5, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, right? Not because you must, but because you are willing not greedy for money, but eager to serve. First Thessalonians. So we see the role of a pastor is to be shepherds of God's flock. But it goes on because our role is also to administer the ministers. To administer the ministers. So if somebody asks you, how many ministers does Union Chapel have? It's a big church. How many ministers are out there? Here you're going to church over that, that big place, Union Chapel. How many ministers are there? You ought to lean in and say, there's 1,200 of us. There's 1,200. Because every one of us is called to be a minister. Your, your ministry is something that you do and something that you are. So if you hear, how many ministers? The answer is 1,200. I want to tell you something about your life that you may not know. Let me just read your mail for a moment. You are called to be a bivocational minister of Jesus Christ. 
Now, what does bivocational mean? Let's look at the word bifocal. No, not a show of hands here, but you may be familiar with bifocals. Bifocals allow you to, to see uh, with clarity that which is up close and also the things that are far away, right? So we get the idea of bifocals, seeing two things with clarity. When you're a bivocational minister of Jesus, it means that no matter what you do in your life, you do it for two reasons, not one. You are a bivocational minister. We'll get to those two reasons in just a moment. But whether if you're a truck driver or an attorney or a janitor or a hospice worker, a homemaker, a teacher, a stock broker, a deal maker, an accountant, or whatever you do, you are called to be bivocational. If you are a Christian, you do it for two reasons. And here they are, to help others and to honor God. To help others and to honor God. Everything I do, if I'm a follower of Jesus, is bivocational. I have a job, but in that job, I do it to help other people and to honor God. I'm bivocational. Colossians 3.17 says it this way. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it says whatever you do, it can be a ministry if, if you're doing it for God and doing it to bless other people. If I take out the garbage, it's a ministry. If I clean up the living room floor, it's a ministry. If I make a deal in the office, it's a ministry. If I help somebody across the street, it's a ministry. If I change a dirty diaper, it's a ministry. And that's good news if you haven't heard because the Hughes family is expanding and there will be more dirty diapers to change in our near future. <laughs> Everything in your life can be a ministry if you do it with a focus on following and loving and honoring God and blessing the people around you. It's all about having the right motivation. It's all about having the right heart. This is not in your notes, but if you have a pen, grab it, because I want you to write it down. Menial task, the menial things of life, the menial task become meaningful when I entrust them into God's hands. When I do these things out of my love for Jesus and with the right motivation, the menial tasks become meaningful. So in everything in your life has an opportunity to become Meaningful. Let's say, for example, you're at a business meeting, you're at a table, and your coworkers get up and they leave their disposable plates and cups and trash there uh, after they've finished the meeting, uh, supposing that someone else is just going to come along and clean up after them. And what do you do? Everyone's gone, but you have an opportunity to pick up that table, to put those things in the trash, to clean things off. Not because anyone will see it, because they probably won't. But who will? God will. God will see it, and he will honor you for it. You've just done a ministry, and God will reward you and pour blessings into your life because of it. Let's say you're at church on a Sunday morning. You walk in. You use the restroom on a Sunday morning. You see that there is a paper towel kind of wadded up there on the floor or on the sink area. Some sixth-grade boy has maybe left it there and didn't realize it was supposed to go in the trash can. And you, you help him out by, by grabbing that and, and putting it in the trash can on your way out. You have just done a ministry. You've just been a blessing to someone who you may never know, who you may never come into contact with. You've just reached into someone else's life and been a blessing. Did anybody see it? Probably not. Will you be rewarded? You bet. You bet. I want you to get something this morning. Here it is. It's super important. The calling to salvation and the call to service happen at the same time. 
The calling of salvation and service happened at the same time. They are the same. So when you became a believer, when you stepped across that line of faith, you weren't just called to be saved, you were called to serve. Because saved people will serve people. And, and I've seen too many people in, in ministry who will say, oh, I've been, I've been a Christian for 15, 20 years. It's fine, finally time for me to find my service opportunity, find, time for me to find my ministry, a place where I can give back. Well, where have you been the last 15, 20 years? Because the call to salvation is the same as the call to service. They happen in the same moment. When you step across that line, you are not only called to be saved, but you are called to serve, to make a difference in your life. Every member is a minister, and everybody has a ministry. Galatians 1.15 says it this way. God, in his grace, chose me even before I was born, and he called me to serve him. He called me to serve him. Friends, you are made for ministry, and that is a call to bless other people. I want to just pause and tell you about something we're doing in a couple of weeks. It's our annual volunteer open house. Now, some of you are, are new, and we realize that, and so we want you to know about this. We'll set up several different tables over in our chapel next door with lots of different ministry opportunities. You can walk over there after our weekend services in two weeks. And for five, ten minutes, you can see all the different places where you can serve, where you can plug in, where you can be a blessing, where you can give back. And so I, I don't want you to skip out on that. November 5, 6, in two weeks, take a few minutes and check out those opportunities. We've got some expanded opportunities that are brand new, and we're really, really excited about that. Well, this morning in the rest of this brief message, I want to give you the four benefits that happen when you change your focus from self to service. Four benefits that happen when you change your focus from self to service. If you have your notes or if you're following along on the Union Chapel app under the weekend tab, these fill in the blanks will be available for you there. When you change your focus from it's all about me to it's all about serving, four things happen. And here's the first. Serving others unselfishly will create joy in my life. It will create joy in my life. Most people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. There's a song that goes kind of something like that. I won't sing it for you this morning. But you don't find happiness in, in pleasure, power, possessions, or prestige. Though many look for it there. Salary and status and success, even if you have those things, they're, they're just momentary. They're fleeting. They're leaving moment by moment, only temporary. But permanent, ongoing joy comes through service to other people. By giving my life away. I do not understand this. But it is God's economy that as I give my life away, as I bless other people, God pours joy into my life. And the same is true in yours. I've seen it. There are two secrets of joy that most people don't understand and don't know. And I want to just give these to you and talk briefly about them here this morning. The first secret of joy is to get the focus off of myself. To get the focus off of myself. You see, I think we need a worldwide shift from a focus that is inward to a focus that is outward. We're going to be miserable the more we focus on ourselves. But the more you give your life away, the more you help other people, the more joy will flow into your life. You know, we see a great example of this in the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 2. He says this in verse 17. My life is being poured out as a part of the sacrifice and service. I offer to God for your faith 
Yet I'm filled with joy, and I share that joy with all of you. I love that. There's those words, the sacrifice and service that I offer to God. In spite of all of this, in spite of all the sacrifice, in spite of all the service, I'm filled with joy. I don't get it. I don't know how it happens, but God pours in joy when we give our life away. I've realized that if you want to be happy, be helpful. I don't know what it is, but the most helpful people in my life that I've seen, they seem to be the most happiest people as well. And I've seen it about my life. Maybe I'll be in a bad mood someday, kind of just wake up and I'd be a little grumpy someday. Don't judge me. You do it too. And if I'll actually do something for someone else, my perspective changes. Things will shift in me. And I don't know what it is about that. All I can tell you is when I take my focus off of my needs, off of myself, off of what I need, and and remember a friend who needs a a phone call or, or a friend who needs a cup of coffee or someone who needs a note dropped in the mail to them, when I think of those things and will reach out in those things, there will be joy that is infused into the rest of my day. Now, here's the thing. All across this room, there are a couple things happening right now. There are some of you going, yeah, yeah. And I can see it on your face that you've done that. And there's some of you going, yeah, whatever. Try it. Try it out. Feel free to send me an email this week and say, you were wrong. I I went all out to serve somebody all day long, and I was still just in an awful mood. I'll send you my list of things you can come do if that's the case. And then you can uh, bless, uh, bless me in that way. And then we'll see if it makes you joyful. It'll make me happy anyways. If you want to be happy, you've got to be helpful. The Bible says in Philippians 4, always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let, let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. There are, are two words here that I want to key in on because they just grab a hold of my heart. Unselfish. And considerate. Unselfish and considerate. How many times in our life do do we go through life inconsiderate and selfish and then wonder why we're not joyful? I've gone through my whole day, my whole week, maybe even I've lived a whole year just focusing on me. Inconsiderate and selfish. And I wonder why I don't have joy. When it's a fact that if we'll go through life unselfish and considerate looking to the needs of others around us that joy will be evident in our life Philippians 2 4 is a little more blunt when it says it this way forget about yourself long enough to lend a helping hand Ooh, all right you know God didn't put you on this planet to live just for you he puts you here to find a way to give back, to find a way to serve, to be a blessing. You've got to make a contribution. You've got to be unselfish. And that's where true joy comes from. So the second secret of joy is to use my gifts to help others. Joy comes from getting the focus off myself. And joy comes from using my gifts to help others. I can tell you that it feels good to use the gifts and talents that God's given me to serve and to bless other people. To, to go in and help my neighbors, to help my friends, to, to paint a house, to construct something, to, to do different things that God has gifted me to do, to take my focus off of others and find where my skill set 
and the gifts or the needs of others intersect because that is a beautiful intersection. And there are people in this room and you have skill sets that are great. The only time you think about using them perhaps is when you're getting a paycheck for using those skills. But God's gifted us in ways with the things that we do occupationally. But I would imagine if you were to think for a moment, there are a lot more gifts that you have that go beyond the things you get paid to do. And let's expand our our horizon there. Let's broaden our thoughts. If you're an able-bodied person, you ought to use your hands and feet to be a blessing to somebody, to help others. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you some special abilities be sure to use them to make a ton of money. Oh, wait. Nope. I, I misread that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Must be my eyes. It doesn't say that at all. That's the perversion translation. It says, help others, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. So God's gifted us with special abilities to be a blessing to other people. How great is that? We're blessed to be a blessing. God blesses you so you can bless other people with your time, your talents, your treasure, your abilities. What a great thing. Well, serving others unselfishly will not only create joy in my life. Here's the second point on your outline. It will improve my relationships. Man, do we need this one. It will improve my relationships. Now listen, I am not a counselor. I'm not a counselor. I want to make sure I made that disclaimer. The reason that this will improve your relationships is because I firmly believe that the root of all relational problems is found in self-centeredness. I do. I just believe that if you're having a relational issue with someone, the root of that is found in self-centeredness. And so what do we do with that? Husbands, if you're in the room right now and there's some tension with your spouse right now, Where can you take your focus off of yourself, stop looking inwardly at your own needs, and begin to see her needs and to reach out in that way? Take your focus off you, put it on her. The root of all relational issues is focusing on ourselves, self-centeredness. You can apply this in your marital relationships. You can apply this uh, in your occupation. You're having some strife with a coworker. The challenge, the root of that relational conflict is self-centeredness. You can apply it if you're a student with someone uh, who you're having an issue with in the school hallway. The root of all relational challenges is self-centeredness. Now, don't look at this person right now, but do you know anybody stuck in the twilight zone? Me, 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 me. Yeah, we all know those people. But I can tell you something. Life is this lifelong journey. It's a lifelong task, if you will, of learning how to be unselfish. Do I wake up every day and live this out? No, I don't, but I sure try to. And I want to challenge you to do the exact same thing. To wake up each day and say, how can I take the focus off of me and put it on somebody else? Because as you do that, joy will flood into your life. Unfortunately, there are some people who never learn this life lesson. They go through life living only for themselves. So question, and maybe a question that you have. Okay, great. How do I become unselfish? All right, I'll give it to you that I need to become unselfish. How do I do that? Well, the answer to that is become more like Jesus. 
And yes, that is a church answer. So let me dive into that a little bit more and give you some examples of that. Matthew 20, 28 says this, Your attitude must be like my own. This is Jesus speaking. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. So it comes with our attitude, the way we think. It comes with the way we perceive ourselves. That changes the way we act towards those around us. That changes our unselfishness. Or changes our selfishness into unselfishness. We see in Romans 14, 18, if you serve Christ in this way, which is unselfishly serving, you will please God and be respected by people. So the more I bless other people, the more God will bless me. The more I serve others, the more God will honor me. The more I invest my life in a ministry to other people, the more that God will minister to me, the more that God will step into that need that I have, the more that I help other people, God will reach into my life and he'll grab a hold of me and help me in those ways that I need help. Proverbs 11.25 tells us this, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. In other words, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Anybody plant a garden this year? Yeah, we had a great garden this year at our house. It was an, a new garden. We had just tilled up the soil. And, and I don't know if that's why the tomatoes did so great this year, but just had a phenomenal harvest in our garden. I prayed over it quite a bit, but I don't know. Maybe, who knows? But whatever seed I sowed in that garden is what's going to grow. So whatever seed you sow into your life is what's going to grow. But here is the thing about the seed of, of sowing into someone else's life in an unselfish way. Because when you plant a seed, you don't get back another seed. You get back a whole tree of seeds. When you step into someone's life and, and assist them and help them and bless them in a way that only you can in that moment, you get tons of blessing back. When you start helping other people, you get tons of blessing back. Blessing others gives blessing. Proverbs 17, 11 says you do yourself a favor when you're kind. That's interesting. You do yourself a favor when you're kind. Proverbs 22, 9 says a generous man will himself be blessed. Are you generous? Or does the character Scrooge kind of resemble you a little bit more during this season? So if I want God's blessing in my life, I've got to give God's blessing to other people. I've got to reach out. I've got to be a blessing to other people. Well, if I want better relationships, I need to be serving. Here's the third benefit of serving others unselfishly. It will make my life meaningful. It will make my life meaningful. You know, this is a big surprise to some people who, who first grab onto this idea of living outside of themselves is when you do this, it will actually create a meaningful life. The only way you find meaning in life is to give it away. Clinging to your life and holding on to it is a sure way to lose it. Meaning does not come from money. Can I just say that again so we can grab it? Because it's really easy in our culture to think that meaning comes from money. Meaning does not come from money. It comes from ministry. And you are called to be a minister. And you have a ministry. It's not about the bank account. It's about the blessings. Pour them out to other people. Mark 8, 35 says, If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news... You will find true life. I want true life. 
You know, I don't know about you. I, I hope that that's true for your life, but, but I want to have this true life that Jesus talks about. And I just see that, and, and I believe the word of God to be very, very true and accurate. And so if I'm going to have true life, I've got to reach out. I can't cling to my own life because that's where we lose it. Give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news. You will find true life. What great truth from Mark 8, 35. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. Now I want to dive into this particular scripture for just a moment. So let's hold on to this closely. The first word I see that I love is the word fully. Fully. If you see that in print before you, circle it or write it down there. Some of us are really good at surrendering half of our life or three quarters or even 90%. And we think, oh man, I've I've got it made. I'm 90% surrendered to God. But what we see in this text and what we hear in the Gospels is this idea that if you hold on to your life, even any part of it, you're going to lose it. And so we need to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Well, what is the work of the Lord? It's, it's helping people who need help. It's blessing people with the talents that God has given us. And I just want to challenge you and just ask this question. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I'm... I'm not 90 or even 75 or 50%. My surrender scale to the Lord Jesus Christ is about nothing. It's about nothing. Maybe it's been years since you even thought about your personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about a family member's relationship, not your parents, not your grandparents, not anyone else that you know, not my kids have a relationship with Jesus and they go to youth group. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus, the personal one. That leads to salvation. And and if that's you, I challenge you to get right with the Lord, to just say, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. It's hard to take our focus off of ourselves, even with Jesus helping us. I can't imagine how hard it would be facing life's challenges and and living a life that is not self-centered without surrendering ourselves fully to the work of the Lord and fully to the Lord. Not half-hearted, all in, jumping in, head first, deep end, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the work of the Lord is never wasted. Now, let me look at that word wasted for just a minute. So if you see that, just put your eyes on, on that word. It means useless. It means without a purpose. It means empty, lacking destiny. Friends, everything you do for Christ has a purpose. It has a reason It may seem insignificant and maybe no one knows about what you're doing, but it's important. The Bible says that even if you give a cold cup of water in Jesus' name, that you are rewarded in eternity. And what a great reward that will be. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Well, so far we've covered three things that will happen if I switch my focus from all about me to all about serving the needs of others. The first is it will create joy in my life. The second is it will improve my relationships. And the third is it will make my life meaningful. Here's the fourth and last point for this message this morning. It will leave a legacy. It will leave a legacy. You will leave a mark. You're going to leave a mark. Actually, you'll leave a couple marks. One here on earth. And the second will last forever in eternity. 
the mark that you leave here on earth will not last very long. Because the truth is, after about two or three generations, I hate to say it, but nobody's going to remember you. Your trophies will be tarnished and trashed. Your legacy is all that will remain. So how are you leaving a legacy for people in your life? Your children, your grandchildren, the people who you are pouring into their life in some way. Can I just tell you something that I believe is very significant here? You don't leave a legacy in the last phrase that you say on your dying deathbed. You leave a legacy in all the phrases that you say on the way to that moment. There's far too many people who get to that last moment and they only have but one breath to utter something that they want their children and those that they love gathered around to remember forever. If you've waited until that moment to leave your legacy, you've missed out on so many other moments. Begin leaving a legacy today by saying those words that that God puts on your heart that will last and need to be said. The rewards you get in eternity will go on and on forever. Proverbs 10, 7 says, Good people will be remembered as a blessing. Do you want to be remembered as a blessing? That's a poignant question, isn't it? What do you want to be remembered for? When people say your name long after you're gone, your family, your friends, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want them to say, that person, man, they were so giving. They were the first person to be there in a time of need. They were the first person to to sign up to help. And not only did they sign up, but they would show up and they would even stay late. They gave all that they had to make a meaningful difference in the lives of other people. What do you want to be remembered for? Because the way we live our life moment by moment, the words we say, the things we do, they will determine the legacy that you will leave. We don't want people to say, oh man, yeah, he only cared about himself. He only cared about his bank account. Surely didn't care about his kids, his wife. Man, you should hear the way they talked about him when when he wasn't there. Gosh, he didn't care about anybody except himself. What do you want to be known for? Good people will be remembered as a blessing. And I guarantee you that's the way you want to be remembered, as a blessing. The truth is, Everybody wants their life to count, don't we? We want it to count. To make a significant difference. I do. I know you do as well. You want your life to have purpose. To have a destiny for your life. You want to do something great with your life. Everybody wants that. Something that will long outlive who you are. Parents in the room, I know you want to pass this legacy on to your children. Can I tell you something about my parents? My parents who are still living passed on a legacy to me, a legacy of being forthright and saying we won't always do the right thing in every single moment, but we want to honor people and we want to honor God with our life. And they taught my sister and I to do the same thing. Maybe you've never thought about that as a parent, what you're instilling and what you're teaching the next generation that's following you. You have an opportunity, parents, to do that in a way that no one else can. I spent 17 years in youth ministry, and I can tell you, the youth who understood the legacy that their parents passed on to them were far in a better place. So make a difference. Leave a legacy. Say the words that matter. Do the things that count. 
sign up, show up, do the right thing. Jesus says, here's how you become great in Matthew 20, 26. He says, if you want to be great, you must be a servant of others. The more you serve, the greater you're going to be. If you want to be great, you've got to learn to be a servant. I find something really interesting. If you were to go to Amazon.com and search for leadership books, for every 500 books on leadership, you would find one book on being a servant. Doesn't it seem that we have our priorities mixed up? Shouldn't that be flipped? Because the way to be great is to serve. The way to be great is to honor others, to bless others, to step into their lives and to make a meaningful difference. You say, but nobody's going to see my secret acts of service. God will. God will. Like if you clean up that table after everybody's left the business meeting, everybody's gone. God will see it. You step in and you do something right because it's right in the right moment. God will see that. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, God is fair. He will not forget the work that you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. And he will remember that you are still helping them. Jesus makes this promise in John 12.26. He says, my father will honor anyone who serves me. That honor right there is what I'm striving for. That honor right there is what I challenge you to strive for. The Nobel Peace Prize, ah, I'm disqualified for that. The Congressional Medal of Honor, no. All of these other accolades and distinguishments, no, not going to happen in my life, probably not in your life as well. But that prize is a prize that you can win, that God will look at your life and say, that is honorable, that is meaningful. That's a prize that you can win. My father will honor anyone who serves me. Doing something with your life that you don't get back anything monetarily for and you get no recognition for, I believe those are the acts of service that God really shines upon. But I know that as we extend a hand of blessing and service to others, that God reaches in our life and he does something great, something supernatural by, by charging us up by, by infusing us with joy and the power of God. Well, you've got three choices with your life. Three choices. You can spend your life, you can waste your life, or you can invest your life. I hope that you'll choose to invest your life. We learn from the scriptures that there are only two things that will last. There are only two things, the word of God and the people who you pass that legacy on to. So if you build your life on the word of God and on the people who are to follow, then you're building your life on things that will last. So to recap this message, if I switch my focus from myself, self-centered, self-focused, and begin to bless other people, begin to serve other people, it will create joy in my life. It will improve my relationships. It will make my life meaningful, and I will leave a legacy. Now, I won't ask you to show hands, but I would settle for just one of those things. But we have an opportunity, friends, to, to serve others, to live beyond ourselves, and to gain all four of these things. What God says is, is try me. Put me to the test. And so I encourage you with the right motives to go out and to be a blessing to other people. Will you stand up with me? Let's pray for just a moment.
Lord, I know there are amazing possibilities in small steps when you are the one who guide them. So I pray that you would help each of us to take steps towards you today, Jesus, and a step towards blessing others as a response to this message this morning. Father, I know you want to transform our lives as we move from a focus that's all about me to a focus of serving others. And thank you that as we do this, that, that we experience the benefits and blessings of a joyful and meaningful life, restored relationships, and a legacy that will outlast our days. Now, if you're in the room and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, just privately say this phrase to him, Jesus, come into my life right now. Make yourself real to me. I want to learn to know about you and who you are and to love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.